Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me on today's program. We need, I think, to look at um, a very interesting story because a lot of us are wondering what's going on in the world of holidaying and tourism and whatever. And a company that keeps on doing fantastically well is Webjet. Now, I've got the, the MD, the boss of Webjet, John Gusick, coming on the program. And we'll try and work out how this company keeps on flying high despite the fact it competes with the airlines like Qantas, Virgin, all the, all the foreign airlines. They're selling uh, tickets while the airlines themselves are selling tickets. And this company just keeps on doing very, very well. I've interviewed him at least for probably eight times over the last four years. And I'd say only once has he ever come on my TV show and uh, talked about having a bad half year. So a very interesting um, guy is John Guzik, and he'll explain to us the secret of the success of Webjet. Then we'll talk to the founder of TM Insights, Travis Erridge, and he explains the changing nature of retail with the arrival of the likes of Alibaba in China and Amazon in the US, and Amazon, of course, is here in Australia, and how he actually lost his job during the GFC, and that job loss actually created a business that really is well-positioned to do very well going forward. And finally, we'll meet a mortgage broker by the name of Kerry Kalender. I just want to see how he thinks his business is going to be affected by the proposed changes to mortgage broking under a future Labor government, or maybe if... Um, uh, Prime Minister Morrison um, surprises and wins. How will his life be under the coalition? That's the Switzer Show. And without any further ado, let's go and catch up with the CEO or MD of Webjet, Mr. John Cusick. John Cusick, thanks for joining us on the Switzer Show. Delighted to be here, Peter, as always. Yeah, now look, we, we should, before we start, point out that you reported really well and the market liked what they heard last week. But way back in November, there were some really negative headlines that they didn't like what you said. So why don't you explain how come the market got so wrong in November and now they're getting it right nowadays? Well, I think, uh, you know, between uh, the reporting periods, you've got a six-month gap and there was uh, a lot of macro events that were perceived as being impactful to our business, such as Brexit, slowing consumer demand here in Australia, and uh, a sense that high-growth high stocks like ourselves were re-rated. So that seemed to all weigh heavily on the market. But as, as, as the guys who are running the business, you know, our business doesn't turn on a dime. We had really strong results going into the full year for... Uh, FY18, and the first half of FY19 has continued that. So nothing's really changed on a, on a very specific market point of view from uh, Webjet. Okay, but you're a very lucky man, John, because you have a lot of hair. But having to deal with the market when you're trying to run a business, it is the sort of thing that some people would have to pull their hair out because they get frustrated that the market's making a silly assessment 
of what has shown to be a very good business. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, we, look, the market um, it has its successes, and uh, it, it's demonstrated that uh, in, in particular on our stock over the last year or so. But uh, our, our business continues to to deliver results, and that's all I'm ever focused on. You know, the, the only small frustration in all of this is when we uh, raise capital to, to make the acquisition of destinations of the world. You know, we're doing it on a share price of uh, under $13, and, and by the time you put in the discount to Turk, uh, you, you, you're buying you're buying an asset at $11.50 that you could have probably bought a couple of bucks uh, cheaper from our perspective. That's unfortunate, but mm. you live and learn. No, 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 no drama. Okay, so before we go any further, some people might not know the the potted history of Webjet. So it's in a nutshell, the web the Webjet story, when it started, um, what were the, the initial goals of the of the business, and where has it? You know, explain the the, the the journey that Webjet and you've taken along the way. Okay, well Webjet is uh, we, we're a twenty year old. Uh, digital travel company. Um, the vast majority of people know us as the um, online travel agency. They, they would have a, a degree of awareness through our, our TV ads and our billboards and previously through sports sponsorship. And over that 20-year period, we've, uh, we've become the number one online travel agency in Australia. Credit to David Clark, the founder of the business in uh in building a resilient business that was based around the following principles of convenience and choice. And we've done a pretty mm. good job in growing faster than the market over that journey to the point where now we account for more than 50% of all flights booked in the online travel space in Australia. So that's one part and, of that. And I, yep. And I guess it's taken, that's one 20 years, it's taken you 20 years to be an overnight success. Yeah, it's taken us 20 years to be an overnight success. That's exactly... <laughs> we, we, we've had the same joke internally for the last uh, year or so that uh, it's taken it's taken uh, the Australian investment community a little bit longer than you would have hoped to, to recognise the value that was created initially in that business. Then we, um, on our B2C side, we, uh, we then made a, an acquisition in uh, 2016 of a New Zealand-based business called Online Republic, and they specialise in motorhomes, cars, and cruises. So there are two online businesses, and the business that um, I've spent a little bit of time with you over the years sort of introducing is our B2B business. And what that is, it's, it's under the brand WebBeds, and what we do there is we connect hotels who are looking for distribution with people in all parts of the travel ecosphere, whether you're a retail agent, a corporate agent, a wholesaler, a tour operator, or another online travel agent, we are the pipe that connects those hotels from an individual hotel through to someone who makes that booking. And so we're the, the middleman in that space. We've leveraged the same core competencies around convenience and choice that uh, underpin the Webjet business, and on top of that, we've leveraged our skills in digital travel. So we're an internet-based business, and we know how to use technology to, to distribute uh, inventory at uh, low cost. John, has this side of the business been the sleeper that actually has delivered, you know, alpha 
returns to the company? Correct, spot on. So from our, our perspective, we've spent, up until this particular reporting period, we've spent uh, the last six years, because we started this business in February of 2013, we've spent the last six years of this business um, adding scale and penetrating markets and building it out. So to put that in perspective, six years ago, we launched in the Middle East. Um, a year later, in 2014, we bought a small business, um, which was, in essence, um, providing sun and beach Mediterranean holidays to uh, Scandinavians. From there, we extended organically into Americas, and then we extended into Asia-Pacific. And then where the, the, the acceleration of our growth started to occur is all of those businesses were doing phenomenal underlying growth because, you know, happiness is a low base. You enter a market, you, you, you demonstrate some initial success. All that's great. But what we've done in the last 18 months is we, we made an acquisition in August of 2017 for Jack Travel. And then we made an acquisition a few months ago in November of 2018 of Destinations of the World. Now, what both of those acquisitions have done is provide us great scale into our uh, organization. And with scale, you get scale benefits like improved margin, lower cost to serve. Um, you, you, you're a truly global player, so you get better deals from hotels. So as all of that, uh, that virtual circle um, um, completes itself, you see a result in which our EBITDA um, went up from 12.8 million to 30.1 million. And we know it will grow in particular in FY20 when a number of other initiatives come to the fore, that it will be a substantial increase and will be the most significant driver of shareholder value within the overall Webjet Corporation. So John, how important is the, the health of the global economy and tourism to the success of your operation? Well, it's, it's, it goes back to the earlier point that you made, Peter, about uh, some, uh, some people having some nervousness about our results. And one of the issues was Brexit. And the UK is our largest market out of Europe. And Brexit has impacted our business. But having said that, our UK-based business still grew 105%. Now, it would have been even greater if it hadn't been for the uncertainty of Brexit. So it does have an impact. The, the thing that I'm uh, always cognizant of is that anything that makes travel between countries more difficult um, is, 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 is the biggest headwind that we could possibly could face. So anything around trade wars that uh, discourage investment and discourage people from, uh, from moving between uh, countries is, is a challenge. But having said that, we've operated in this environment of uh, trade wars, Brexit, and slowing consumer sentiment. We're obviously delighted with the results we've been able to deliver. What about the dollar? Is the dollar important for your bottom line? Uh, not really. You know, we, uh, our, our, our domestic business, our Australian business, obviously it has, um, uh, the weaker dollar has uh, potentially the impact to reduced demand for international travel. It hasn't happened in the first six months of this financial year. Um, but having said that, the weaker dollar, we repatriate our profits back into Australia at a, at a stronger currency rate. So it, it offsets each other in our sense. So we're sort of uh, comfortable no matter which way the dollar goes. 
And what about the the um, the feelings of Australians when house prices are falling? You know, there's often this argument that consumers are very sensitive to the value of their homes. Have you ever picked up any relationship there? Uh, not 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 yet. Um, so, in our first half year results for the Webjet business, which would be directly impacted by consumer sentiment, um, mm. the domestic, the overall domestic market. This is all airlines, not Webjet's performance. It did slow. It was it was two and a half percent growth last year. It slowed to one one point one percent. The interesting aspect for me is that international bookings. So that's Australians who travel. Um, overseas, um, you know, the, the the market still grew at five percent. Now, in both those cases, Webjet grew a multiple of those numbers, but the underlying market still remains healthy. And it, it goes to a thesis that we've always had, which which has two two elements to it. Point number one is, irrespective of what happens to underlying GDP growth, travel will always grow at a multiple of GDP growth. So GDP is at three, travels usually four and a half to six four and a half or six percent. So it's got an accelerator on underlying growth. And the second thing is as Australians become more sophisticated travelers, the, the, the propensity is that if we've got um, a, a break coming up, we're more likely than ever in our history to, to, to go overseas for that break. And we we don't see that changing in the next five to ten years. Okay. John, let me put you under pressure. I've been interviewing you for four or five years, and in that time, I think only once you've ever came on my TV show and said, well, we haven't actually you know, produced the kind of results I was hoping, and the market probably gave you a bit of a shocking that day, but you've had a really good run of predicting uh, good results and actually producing good results. The next six months, are you sort of confident that you can keep your, your good run running? Because a lot of my listeners will want to potentially invest in your company. I know you don't have to, you're not an advisor, but are you really feeling good about Webjet over the next six months? Unemphatically, I feel great about Webjet over the next six months, Peter. That's all I wanted to say, John Cusick, MD of Webjet. Thanks for joining us on the Switzer Show. Thank you very much, Peter. All the best. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. And of course, every time we talk about home loans, the Switzer home loan at 3.89%, that's the headline rate, but it's also the comparison rate because we don't have any extra fees in between that can cloud the actual value of the loan or the price of the loan that you pay. So always make sure if you do get a home loan that you do know what the comparison rate is because that means that you know all the extra fees and the real monthly repayments that you will be making. And my next guest is Travis Erridge, who is the founder of TM Insights. And 
this is a business that really has tapped into the changing world of retail. And we know a lot of retailers have been doing it really tough lately. And part of the reason is the online world with big names like Amazon and Alibaba really serving up to a lot of bricks and mortar businesses. For insights on what's happening to retail and how this guy has created the business, let's welcome Travis Erridge. Thanks for coming on the program, mate. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, so it seems to me that uh, the GFC was a ill wind that blew you a lot of good. Why don't you explain what happened during the GFC and how you uh, ended up uh, you know, having to look for an alternative uh, way of earning income? Yeah, so obviously the GFC, we were, in, we were in a business that required a lot of capital at the time, uh, working for Australia's biggest industrial developer. And uh, uh, when there was no capital around, we had to find alternative ways of doing business. And we actually got contacted by... Uh, an ex-client um, to come and help them go through a greenfield development for their distribution centre, and that's how um, that's how we kick-started back in uh, the end of 2009, the start of 2010. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things that TM Insights. I, I probably should ask you, why did you call it TM Insights? Uh, yeah, so at the time, we, we were very much a project management business working in the building construction, mainly on the client side. Mm. Um, we tried to come up with different names like TM, project management, TM property and other things. And, and, and so Travis and Milan were the two, myself and, and another person were the first two that started the business. Mm. Um, and there was no other names. And we sat down and we said, well, what do we actually do? Well, we want to get insight into what our company, what our clients are trying to do from a business perspective and develop distribution centres that meet what they're trying to do mm. from a long-term strategy perspective. So that's where the insight comes from. Because I must admit, when I first saw this, I thought this is going to be a transcendental meditation insights <laughs> business. But, but of course, you, you do a little bit more than that. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was met with some mixed reviews at the time, but um, now um, people in the industry will know who Team Inside is, and that's probably the main thing. Okay, fine. Now let's go to the point that, in a sense, you recognised that retail was changing, and that would create opportunities for you. For those people who don't fully understand, if you compare retail, say before the GFC and the way it is now. What have been the big changes? Because it seems to me, I think Amazon and Alibaba are the, the symbolic changes in retail, but you might have more insight than me, given the name of your company. <laughs> yeah, so the first, so we've, we've been going for just on 10 years. And for that first five years, um, the focus was very heavily on not so much the, the, the business to consumer channel, if you like, or the, the e-commerce channel. It was very much around um, consolidating distribution lines and, and optimising supply chains to make sure that the, at the retail level um, that the business could continue to thrive and do what it was doing. So a lot of the work we did for the first five years was really around optimising supply chains with, with property being one of those outcomes um, at the start. But obviously in the last five years, as you rightly point out, the, the retail landscape and and we you know people calling themselves the new retailers being the uh, B to C uh, really kicked off in the last five years in a, in a big way and every single retailer out there now when we sit down with them and talk to them talks about what that means for them at their distribution level whether they're fulfilling at a at a DC level or at a store level or how they're going to keep that channel growing so that's been the big shift for the last five years for yeah. us. But, but is it just simply a matter then that consumers now are buying a proportionately a lot more online and then as a consequence, 
not only are the shops, for example, the malls finding smaller foot traffic, the, the, the linked development is there's a much bigger demand for supply chain logistics that you guys basically deliver on. Yeah, so if you put it in a really simple, um, you know, simple view, the same amount of products coming into Australia, if not more, is coming into Australia and still going to the customers, just depending on what platform people are buying it from. So typically, if if they're buying it from an e-com channel, that might not mean that it hit the retail setting in any way. It might, and, and it depends on the structure of the supply chain, but a lot of times it, it may be direct ship from overseas. It, it might be um, fulfilled at a distribution centre. So, um, you know that rising e-commerce um, as a as a channel or sales channel, plus also the click and collect channel, um, is having a massive impact on um, the distribution and warehousing space because of the pressures that it's applying at the back end. You know, Travis, a lot of people. I interview, you know, even guys like Jerry Harvey, who'd know a little a thing or two about retail, still says the proportion of his business, which is online, is still pretty small. So my my question to you is, are we only actually just seeing the tip of the iceberg and that, you know, in, in your plans going forward for your business, do you imagine there'll be a lot more bought online, say, in 10 and 20 years' time? I think that the first question that when we sit down with a customer to work out what their supply chain should look like, in, and more so domestically, but also you know from how they source product through to the domestic market, um, the typical conversation for a company that's running at about five percent online sales um, of their total sales revenue, um, their, their typical comment is, look, if we can build up another 5% by 2025, that would be good. If we, we did a lot of work last year looking at um, China as, as an example. China has, in, in most segments, between 40 and 60% online sales across all, all segments. Mm-hmm. Um, JD.com last year announced that they would be able to get product anywhere in the world within 48 hours from China. Uh, last year Mm. Um, and and typically for a client it takes two to four years from coming up with the concept of how they're going to fulfill those online orders through to implementing that change Um, you have to sit there and you you think to yourself um, how how on earth are are these customers that that are saying I'm only going to grow by two three four percent going to be able to handle um, the growth that we're seeing. Last year, Australia Post had 46% increase of inbound international parcels last year alone. So um, I, think it's, um, I think it's fraught with danger to not be considering how, whether that's today or whether that's in three to four years' time, it is coming. And, and the retailer's competition today won't be the competition that it is in five years' time. I would, um, yeah, Travis, I would reckon you would have made a bit of a study of the impact of Amazon um, Prime overseas because Amazon Prime in the US and the UK, I believe, are doing pretty well. And that's a lot of purchasing by customers, consumers, um, which would be going directly from warehouse to their front doorstep. Now, is that going to be the, the, the model for the future in 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 countries like Australia and ultimately Germany and all the Western economies of that kind are we going to see the the growth of it and therefore i'm thinking to myself if i invest in retail companies that got lots of real estate 
over time, they, they might not be able to you know, do well with that real estate because a lot less people are going to be showing up. Yeah, I think I think it it depends on the market and uh, the, sorry the segment that they the, the the sector that they sit within. But mm. you know, definitely from from our perspective, um, we've seen Amazon come to Australia as as you well know, and and they've bought a US based model into Australia, and, and and it will most likely be successful. At the moment, it's an interesting model to watch. Mm. We've yeah. got low population and a lot of distance. If you look, we look at Europe and we look at the US with our customers to look at how we design. The supply chain is very hard to compare the two markets to Australia. We've got um, long distance, uh, three main population nodes, if you like, along the eastern seaboard. But if you drive four to eight hours in Europe, you hit 50 million different people. Mm. You do that in Australia, you you might be you'd be lucky to get to be between Melbourne and Sydney. So it's a very tough market to try and assimilate a US or a, or a European model into. Um, and that's the challenge that a lot of customers currently have. In terms of people that have got retail outlets, well, we're seeing a, a huge increase in, in what we're calling experience centres rather than the straight retail, where people are actually trying to um, talk about the experience that people have with their product. Uh, and then that's linking to an online channel. So um, we're seeing a change, is yeah. what I'm saying. Well, certainly one thing Jerry says when he talks about competing with Amazon is that they're going to find it very hard, he said, to to, del- to uh, deliver a fridge to, to Townsville. And if, it, yes. if, and if it has to be taken back, it's, it's more problems. I'm there. I'm there on the ground. But I say to him, however, in Brisbane and Melbourne and Sydney, that's where you'll probably find the competition from the likes of Amazon Prime. Is that a fair call? Yes, yes absolutely. And, and, and I know that when we looked last year at some of the Amazon um, you know, markets that were working and, and others that weren't working quite as well, that those big spaces of the Midwest they were having challenges with, but definitely in the high population nodes uh, like LA and so forth, they were having huge growth um, in those markets. And it's the same as what we saw in London. Um, that the growth is around the population. Yeah, so, Travers, when when we write stories and we interview retailers who are crying about the fall in foot traffic in shopping centres, simultaneously, are you and your partner jumping up and down because it's kind of like as they lose out, you guys will win out. Uh, not at all. Look at most of our most of our major customers are uh, are. Um, uh, big retailers yeah. um, that that have a small online footprint at the moment. Um, that the smart ones are trying to change and what that looks like. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a question. For many years, there, most retailers had an online offering um, that typically was fulfilled at a store level. So mm. if you ordered it online, the closest store would fulfill it and and take it to your house. None of them made money on it. All of them lost money on it. And um, now it's seen as a channel where they're physically got to actually um, have a performance outcome with it. So they're now looking at how do we fulfil it um, in a smart way. Do you see TM Insights being a listed company one of these days? Uh, I'm not sure on that one. Um, you know, I, uh, we're, we're quite happy at the moment as a, as a private company, but obviously, um, you know, our request from our clients to go overseas with them and help them work through Asia and so forth, obviously draws needs a lot of capital to do that. So um, we're sort of looking at everything at the moment. Okay, Travis, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you, Peter. Cheers. That's Travis Erridge, who's the founder of TM Insights. Back in a moment. 
And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are me teeth? Oh, welcome back. And I just want to catch up with a mortgage broker to see how he thinks his life's going to be affected if the changes coming out of the Royal Commission, particularly those uh, that have been proposed by Labor already, how his business and his life will be affected. Kerry Calendra from Axton Mortgage Broking, thanks for joining us on the program. Good afternoon, Peter. Uh, Kerry, let's just explain to our listeners uh, what would happen if the way in which you currently get paid changes to what Labor is proposing, and it sounds like a 1.1% upfront payment paid to you by the banks. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that's, that's correct. Well, I'm happy to at least hear that they, um, they uh, are smart enough to make sure that we don't try and move away from commission altogether because that would um, totally kill the whole industry. Mm. But, um, you know, there's an argument, you know, for and against the, the trailing income that, that we do receive. And um, I think there's a, a, a differential between um, the sort of clients that uh, you have and what sort of work that you need to, um, you know, do for those clients on an ongoing basis. Some, some people, uh, they're quite happy to, you know, the loan can be set up and, and forget. And then you have your other clients where... You know, we uh, we have some clients with six or, or seven, you know, investment properties. So we're continually making tweaks to their lending as we go along, uh, which doesn't always reflect in, um, you know, increasing their borrowings or refinancing their loans. Right. So let's just explain to, to people, what's the history of the upfront commission? Give us the, the magnitude of that commission and the trial and the magnitude of that trial. Sure. Well, well, before my time, and I've been doing this for, for nearly 16 years now, um, you know, commission, upfront commissions were, were higher. I think they were around about the, the 1, 1% to 1.2%, um, but there, in those days, there were no trail. Yep. Um, but when I, when I did start 16 years ago, we had upfront commission of around 0.7% plus GST, and around about 0.25% uh, trail on a yearly basis paid monthly. Um, and I, I, to be honest with you, I feel the 0.25% was pretty high. And I think bringing it back to the current rate of around 0.15% per annum, which is paid monthly, is much more reasonable and is in line with um, you know, uh, the, the commissions and the, the cost to the banks mm. and profit for us. And, and, and is it still 07 upfront? Uh, no, it's um, you'll find it between lenders. Um, it'll be anywhere from about 0.6 uh, to 0.65% uh, plus GST, which okay. again I think is, is is good. You know, within the within the current climate. Okay, so if if you a typical customer who say might borrow a half a million dollars, 
over, say, a five-year life of the loan, what kind of remuneration would you get approximately? Yeah, sure. Actually, funny enough, I was just um, working out some figures earlier on 500000 so that seems to be the current theme at the moment. Mm. So that you're looking uh, roughly, you know, with a $500,000 commission, um, at, let's say a point, you know, 0.6%, mm. um, if we just go on the average, you're looking at $3,000 on the upfront fee, and then you're looking at around about, oh, probably about $700 per year for the, um, the trail commission. So in other words, that trailing commission does drop, obviously, as the loan size you know drops. Yeah. So how long does an average loan last for nowadays? They tell me it's even shorter than five years. Is that right? Well, correct. It's, it's, on average, it's around about, from the work, the statistics that I've looked at, it's around about four years. Mm. Um, now, if, um, if that's true, then if we move to a flat commission of 1.1%, uh, and I'm still to find out whether that's 1.1% including the GST or excluding GST, but if we said it was the 1.1% plus GST, if the life of a loan is around about four years, then realistically it's about on par mm. from what I can see. Yeah. Um, and to me personally, and uh, this is my business model, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got a very, very good client base. They're very sticky. Um, I'm, I'm known to, you know, find solutions for them. Um, it would be, oh, it probably would be, I can see that, in, you know, in the industry that loans will get turned over in around about that period. So, now, Kelly, um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think from that point of view, I think that's probably reasonable that we should be looking um, at a client's loan within that time frame. We, we generally have a period of three years where we will review the loan after three years. Yeah. There, are, there are periods where we say, no, stay where you are. And we, we're quite happy to say that. Yeah. And um, if there's something better it comes along, then yes, we're happy to, to refinance them as long as it benefits the customer. Now, this might be a hard question because... Some customers are, are more difficult than others, but when you <laughs> when you're allocating your work to to a customer, how many hours do you expect to be putting in from the the first interview you might do either on the phone or face to face? So you finally get all the documentation through. How many hours do you work on? Well, if you put if you put together the work that um, that I would do, um, and I would also look at the work that my my team do. Um, and, and that's probably another point to talk about later. But um, I would suggest that we would spend a, a, at least probably a good 10 hours on a pretty straightforward um, loan application through the first time we touch base with the client until settlement. Yeah, so that's 10 hours on a straightforward one. And mm-hmm. what, what would a complicated one look like? Uh, a complicated one could be easily 20 to 30 hours. Yeah. Okay, so so really, you know, when you're looking at, it, you aren't being grossly overpaid, considering what hourly rates are like in the the financial services industry. All right, so Correct. at this point in time, your business has a certain value, and that value would have been partly determined by the caliber of your database. But sec, but secondly, I figure the trail at least has has a, a value as well. If the trail is whipped away. What does it do to the value of your business? Oh, that's that's a very that's a very good question, Peter. Um, if the trail was uh, it was whipped away and it de- decreased, um, the business would be worth uh, basically minimal. Um, to be honest, 
we've all talked about it around the table and most of us have said that um, we wouldn't sell our business. We'd just continue to, you know, operate them. And, um, you know, as we as we decide to sort of, you know, back down a little bit, we mm. bring in staff and, and have our staff and team, you know, take over and work with the clients and do it that way. Um, I think that's a much better um, method of doing it so that clients still feel like they're being looked after by a team that's been around for a while. Mm. Um, but trying to trying to look at selling a business of that type, then when the trail diminishes, um, I don't see myself uh, going down that path at all. Yeah, I, I guess in many ways you end up being a bit like an accounting firm where if you're bringing in, say, a million bucks, you might be able to sell your business for a million bucks on the strength of your database. But... Even mm-hmm. then, I guess accounting clients look more sticky than you know mortgage broken clients. So it's probably even yeah. going to be less. But it's, it's interesting that you say that it will probably keep you in the industry longer, but you may well just take a less hands-on role. Correct. Absolutely correct. Well, Kerry, thanks for joining us. One last thing I, I, I guess I should ask you. Have you heard any whispers about what the government might do uh, in terms of the mortgage broking recommendations from the Royal Commission? Well, um, interesting enough, um, uh, you know, I mean, I was surprised to see uh, Bill Shorten and, and Labor uh, come out with their proposal. Um, I'm really happy um, that they've decided to come out and say that. I think that's going to be a really big election um, issue mm. for both the Liberal Party and the Labor Party. Um, without getting too political, I'm not, I'm not usually a Labor voter, but I'm, I'm going to be um, watching Bill Shorten with... Um, um, with interesting um, times ahead before the election. Okay, Kerry. Well, thanks for joining us on the program. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Peter. That's Kerry right. Kalendra, who is the founder of Axton Mortgage Broking. That's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. Make sure um, you tune in next week where I'm sure you'll be very happy with the, some of the stars I'll have on the show, including Jerry Harvey. Mm-hmm.